Today on Pilgrim Radio's His People, Tim Challies with reflections on the first year of grief following the sudden death of his 20-year-old son. And then immediately, you know, when, when somebody passes away, immediately there's so many details that need to be dealt with. So we had to go to his room and sort through his stuff and we had to start planning a memorial service. And again, because the border was closed, we need to do a service on both sides of the border, a memorial there and a funeral here and details about even getting a body across an international border, all these things. So there is this deep fog, deep loss, but also just this necessity to do so much. Tim Challies, next. Two years ago this month, well-known blogger and author Tim Challies and his wife Eileen received the shocking news that their beloved 20-year-old son Nick had suddenly died while away at school. To process his loss and to minister to others, Tim wrote his real-time reflections from the first year of grief. These reflections are in his new book, Seasons of Sorrow, The Pain of Loss and the Comfort of God. Tim, how did you and your wife, Eileen, receive this extremely difficult news? Yeah, um, we were just at home, November 3rd, 2020. We were just at home um, actually preparing for, for Nick and his fiance. They were going to come pay us a visit in a few weeks' time. We are sort of doing some work around the house and in um, preparation for that. and just started getting text messages and soon phone calls just telling us that something had gone wrong. And then over the course of a couple of hours, that escalated a move. I don't know how long it was, to be honest, but um, that escalated into him being taken to hospital. And then we got the call from the doctor saying that they had tried to do what they could, but uh, there was nothing more they could do. And so um, remembering this was the time when the borders between our countries have been closed or very close to closed because of the pandemic and so on. Mm -hmm. It was a very difficult time. Thankfully, we were able to go down and be with um, Abby and my daughter, who was there, and um yeah, so that was the, our entry into this unexpected time of grief. And kind of jumping uh, toward the end of the book, you, you you eventually found out the cause of Nick's death, and it was nothing that anybody knew or that anybody could have prevented. It was completely unexpected. Completely unexpected, and still no specific cause given something to do with his heart just developed a chaotic rhythm and one that couldn't be sustained. And because he uh, passed away in a park, there was no equipment there that maybe could have restarted it. And so we understood this very much as you know, through our grief, through our tears, as God just sovereignly taking our son, who could who could argue with the fact that he seemed to be healthy, seemed to be well, and then in an instant, God just took him home, took him to himself. Well, right at the top here, tell us about him. Uh, he, he was a, a remarkable young man in many ways, and uh, as you've written even prior to this, uh, but but tell us, tell us a bit about Nick. Yeah, thanks. Nick was my firstborn child, my only son. Um, he was born just a couple of years after Eileen and I got married, and so I don't really know adult life without being a dad and without Nick as being a, a part of my life. And uh, Nick was one of those kids who generally wanted to do the right thing. Mm -hmm. um, he was, had a very strong conscience and, um, you know, obviously a sinful kid, but one who really wanted to do what was right. And uh, when he was about 10, 11 years old, he professed faith in the Lord Jesus Christ and shortly thereafter was baptized. And then as he grew up, started to become interested in um, a lifetime of ministry and decided to uh, be trained to be a pastor. He 
met a young lady, lovely young lady down at seminary, and they had just recently gotten engaged. And so Nick's desire was to serve the local church. He wanted to pastor a little out-of-the-way church and just settle into a lifetime of caring for God's people. So um, Nick was very very special because he was so very ordinary in a lot of ways. He wasn't a, a man of incredible talent. He wasn't the kind of person when you met him, you were just you marveled at his charisma, but he was faithful. He was he was special for just wanting to, just being faithful to what he believed the Lord was calling him to. And he was a good student. He was in an accelerated program <laughs> at, at uh, the Southern Baptist Theological Seminary. Yeah, he was a smart lad and um, really thriving in his studies, thriving in languages, learning languages, one of the best Greek students around, I think. And he and his fiance were battling over the top Hebrew grades as well, who could uh, hold down the best grade. So very, very intelligent young man who loved to read, loved to grow, loved to learn. Well, after hearing the news, after learning of what had happened, you obviously had to go to the seminary immediately. What did you do first when when you got there? I mean, I, there was a it must have been a functioning in a fog, so to speak. Nick passed away in front of his sister, in front of his fiance, in front of a, a big group of friends. They were just out playing a game together in a park. And so we rushed down to be, especially with his sister and then also with his fiance, just to uh, to be together as a family. And so that was our first thing, just being together. We just needed to be all in the same space at the same time. And once that was in place, we that was very comforting, very helpful. And then immediately, you know, when, when somebody passes away, immediately there's so many details that need to be dealt with. So we had to go to his room and sort through his stuff and we had to start planning a memorial service and again because the border was closed we need to do a service on both sides of the border a memorial there and a funeral here and details about i mean just even getting a body across an international border all these things so there is this deep fog deep loss but also just this necessity to do so much well er early on and and of course um there are questions which come to mind you you write about this in your book what what questions did you did you and your wife struggle with right away initially i guess the big question we all have in a time of grief is the why question mm -hmm. why did this happen um why did god decide for this to happen or permit this to happen and so obviously that was that was present though we pretty quickly set it aside just our, our understanding of the the, the bigness of God and the smallness of ourselves, we we pretty quickly realized God didn't owe us that answer, and uh, we didn't have to know why this was His His decree for Nick's life and therefore for our lives. And I think then the next question became, how is God going to use this, and how is God using this? And then just looking for evidences of God's grace and, and God's glory being manifested through this situation and finding real joy and real comfort in that. Initially, what was most comforting for you and your wife, Eileen, and your two daughters? Uh, well, we found comfort first in just how much Nick was loved um, to meet his, his fellow students, many of whom we hadn't yet met, and just to hear them express their sorrow and their love for him and their admiration for him. Um, that was a real blessing to us. But then, of course, just focusing on the character of God and knowing who God is and being able to say, we know that God is good. And if God is only ever good, then God's goodness has somehow been displayed in this. And just finding deep comfort in who God is. And then on the basis of who God is, what we know He must be up to, even if we can't see those things, just knowing God is up to something good and meaningful and purposeful in this. 
Are there particular biblical truths or doctrines that most comforted you in those early days? Absolutely, and I think I've probably alluded to them already, the, the sovereignty of God, just knowing that God is in control of this world. There's nothing in this world that happens outside of God's will. You know, God may make use of secondary causes, even very tragic causes, but ultimately, Nick's death was God's will. And we had to to reconcile ourselves to that and really believe that. And the second was God's goodness, that God's character is good, that God can want no evil, wish no evil, do no evil. So whatever else this was, this was in some way consistent with God's goodness, even an expression of God's goodness. And so we really anchored ourselves in those twin truths uh, of God's power and God's goodness. And there, at some point you write that there is there is a point of, of acceptance, there is a point of peace that God, this is God's will, this is God's good will, God is always good, but, but that, that point of acceptance wasn't immediate, right? That, that took some time. Right, and, and that's because we tend to be, in our, in our griefs, we tend to be all emotion. Uh, we feel a lot, mm-hmm. and you know, our, our senses are in overdrive. It takes time for us to subject our feelings to truth. I think, and so it, it took us some time to, to 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 do that very thing to say, well, we might feel this, but we need to believe this because those beliefs are, are stronger, higher, better. Can you talk about the, the the funeral and and the burial? I mean, that was did that help in that sense of acceptance? But there's also a, a point of which life has changed. Nothing a parent could be asked to do that's harder than to to bury your own child and. Obviously, we know we're all going to die, but it's the accepted thing. We just understand that um, children outlive their parents. So it's very unnatural and very odd when that happens. Mm-hmm. And um, so that was deeply sorrowful, deeply painful. And yet, um, we also had to recall the Bible's promises that, um, you know, God, unless a, a seed falls into the ground and dies, it will bear no fruits. So we had to understand that. Um, all of us must die, and for the Christian, that death is the way to glory. The only way we, we see the Lord, unless we are still here at His return, the only way is to, to go through the grave, and so we could take great comfort in the fact that we knew Nick was not gone. Truly, he was with the Lord, with the one he loved. Well, the book is Seasons of Sorrow, The Pain of Loss and the Comfort of God. My guest is blogger Tim Challies, and we're talking about uh, his uh, late son, Nick, and what he and his family have found particularly comforting, what uh, Tim has thought about as he's written these various chapters that are found in this book. And you arrange them, Tim, obviously, uh, through the various seasons that followed Nick's death and uh, uh, and of course, as things warm up, things are uh, you're having new uh, understandings of of God and of of what He's doing in the midst of all of this. Yeah, thanks for picking up on that. Not too too many have that. Uh, I built the the seasonality into the book for very practical reasons, which is Nick died in autumn, and so the book progresses from autumn to winter to spring to summer. But those seasons are also representative of things, at least in this part of the world. And so the season of autumn is the season of, of death and decay, and winter is the season of waiting, and then spring is the season of promise, and summer is the season of fruitfulness. And so the seasons stood in very practically, but also they stood in 
um, representatively as well. And uh, yeah, uh, the Lord really did teach us a lot through that first year. And of course, things were were still hard, but we did see progress in our understanding. And um, uh, we did, in, in a sense, emerge from the deepest depths of our grief over those first few months. Your grief, your wife's grief, and your two uh, younger daughter's grief, how were they different? I mean, you, as you write, there's the grief of the father, grief of a mother, of a sibling. Yeah, the grief of a mother and father are very different because men and women are very different. And um, we believe, I believe, that God has built complementarity into humanity so that men and women complement one another. Their differences, their distinctions are God-ordained and meant to be that way. Um, and I think we see that in our grief. That was something I had to learn, that um, my wife would grieve in her way and I would grieve in my in my own. Um, and I think that means she's grieving like a woman, like a mother. I'm grieving like a man, like a father. Um, but like everything else in, in life and, and marriage, that presents a challenge. We can see it as a blessing, but it also presents a challenge for us to love the other person and not to assume that my way of grieving is the right way of grieving. It's my right way of grieving. Mm -hmm. And so then to give lots of love and lots of uh, care and patience toward the other. And then, of course, my daughters grieved like, like sisters who had lost their brother. And you, you relate particularly, Tim, to the father in the Gospels, where he brought his demonized son to Jesus, and he, he basically asked Jesus to help his unbelief. And there's, there's that sense there, that you trust God, you trust his promises, you know he's sovereign, and yet it's hard. Mm. Yeah, the, the father came to Jesus and said, I believe, help my unbelief. And that's such a fascinating statement that he believed, but he wanted to believe more. He wanted his faith to be deeper. And that was very much my cry, um, especially in those early months of, I believe in your promises, God. I believe in your character, but help me believe it all the more. Just more and more prove it to me and let me, let me understand from your word. Let me understand through your spirit that you truly are good. You truly are sovereign. This truly is your will. And I think God was, was good to answer that prayer over time. Well, the book, as I mentioned, is Seasons of Sorrow, The Pain of Loss and the Comfort of God. And I'm wondering, Tim, where did you find comfort in terms of people that have gone through something similar? I mean, did people reach out to you? Did they write to you? And obviously, many people read your blog, so there are probably, I would imagine, a number that are in similar situations. We had some people in our lives here who could actually meet with us face to face and um, one couple especially a mutual friend set us up and they'd lost a son about 10 years prior and they were very helpful um, working through those early days with us and really as much as anything just giving us hope saying you can do this and it will get better it won't always hurt as much as it does right now that was what we needed to hear in the early days Another man wrote me with a long letter that just explained some of what I would be going through in the months ahead, and that sort of became my guidebook through that time. And then I found lots of people in Christian history who had written about their experiences and written books and uh, articles that, that described their experience, and I found that really helpful. Th those people were my friends, some of them mm -hmm. living and in front of me, some of them long since with the Lord, but through their books ministered to me so deeply. And your church family? I mean, you've been very involved there at yep. uh, Grace Fellowship. Yep. 
in Toronto? Yeah, the church was tremendous. And they, you have to remember this was COVID. And so there was a lot of separation in in Canada too. It was um, a little bit stricter than perhaps many of your listeners experience. But um, Mm. yeah, the church was was wonderful and helpful and coming alongside us. And what was so meaningful to us was they loved Nick too. And it was a common loss. And so it's not like we were the ones who were grieving and they were the ones who were comforting. We were grieving together. And it was, it, it's such a blessing to see that others love your loved one and are really grieving his loss as well. So we wept as a church. And I, th- I think you're right that um, in terms of grief, there, fear is kind of a close companion often to grief. How, how is that? Yeah, we had to grapple, especially in those early days, with God had displayed his power. Um, God had displayed his power in that in an instant without asking our permission without telling us who's going to do it. He just took our son, just mm-hmm. like that. And we just had to acknowledge that this was God's will. But that 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 realization also terrified us because if God could do this, why not something else? Or mm-hmm. if he could take Nick, why not take someone else we loved? And for a time, we really felt afraid of God. You know, there's that fear of God where we have a right assessment of who he is and who we are in comparison. But there's also that just being afraid of God and afraid of what he might call us to or afraid of the ways he may exercise his power. And um, I mean, maybe that remains to some degree, mm-hmm. but we understand that God is good. And we understand that whatever God calls us to, he'll call us to for meaning and for purpose. And so that's been very, very comforting. You talk about stewarding sorrow. I don't know that I've ever heard of those two words together, but in, in what sense do you feel that you're you're stewarding this sorrow? Well, if we believe that God is sovereign, that all things pass through His hands in some way, then we believe that this happened for a reason. This happened for His reason. And if God gives us something, it falls to us to take it and to do something mm. with it. And we certainly believe that's true of our money. If God gives you or me a million dollars tonight, we'll say, well, God gave me this money and I'm responsible to steward it well. Why wouldn't the same be true of our sorrows, that God has given us something very meaningful and very precious even? We're now responsible before God to steward it faithfully and well. That well done, good and faithful servant doesn't only pertain to the good things, uh, the things we would want anyways, but also to the very difficult things, I'm, I'm convinced. It is interesting that you write that obviously he was young and, and it, it seems, that of course, he left, it seems like all too soon. And yet at the same time, you say, well, since God determines how long any of us spend on earth before we go to be with him for eternity, this was the time, this was God's perfect time for him. We, we don't know why. Sure. And God tells us that um, we should expect 70 to 80 years. That's the normal span of a normal life. And yet, we also know that some people live longer and some are taken shorter. But again, if we're grounding ourselves in in the sovereignty of God, we know that God is the one who ordains our days, whether that is one day or whether that's thousands and thousands of days. It's ultimately God who controls that. And so, um, yeah, we had to just come to that understanding that this was God's will, that Nick didn't die too soon. He died at exactly the time God had from eternity ordained he would go to be with him. And the gravesite has become a very special place for, for you personally and for your family. Can, can you talk about that? 
Yeah, we visit often. We just say sometimes we're going to see Nick. That's our way of expressing we're going to the cemetery and we just yeah. go to his grave. We tend to it very carefully. We'll mm-hmm. sometimes take little gifts, but it just seems like the place that is maybe the closest point of contact between father and son. And, um, you know, even as Christians, we believe in a bodily resurrection. And so, in a sense, that, that grave where the body is buried, that stands in as a place from which Nick will rise in the day of resurrection. And so, we go not just to weep, not just to despair, but also to shore up our faith that uh, Nick is but asleep in that sense. He's just waiting for the day when, when all things come to their, their conclusion. And we long for that day and maybe just kind of hope that we'll be in that particular spot on the day the trumpet sounds. And it, obviously, the, uh, Nick, going on before you, to what extent has it made heaven more real, more tangible? Yeah, I, I used to be afraid of death, and I find I'm just not anymore. How could the father be afraid when his son is already gone? You know, who would I be if I was terrified of death and my son has already bravely marched that way? So, I'm looking forward to it. And, you know, I'm not going to do anything to hasten my own death. Obviously, God's got purposes for me, but death doesn't stand as a great enemy now. It stands as, as the gateway to Christ, the gateway to neck. And so, in that sense, you know, I, I'm not I don't want to romanticize death. Death is evil. Mm -hmm. Death exists in this world only because there's sin. And yet death really is the gateway to joys beyond all we can experience in in this life. And it's also the gateway to the end of all the sorrows we carry through this life. And knowing he is entered into eternal life, the time before you see the Lord, of course, but before you're reunited with him, actually, in the overall scheme of things, is quite short. It is. It is. Um, the, the Bible promises that whatever we endure in this life, these are light and momentary afflictions. That's not making light of just the fact that these are actually very painful and very long experiences. But if we can just place our faith in Christ, look toward the future, we know that 100,000 years into eternity, um, sinless, joyful eternity, we'll look back on this and say, light momentary well tim the uh the grief that is there obviously it changes it 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 never goes away i think you say it is a a constant and uninvited guest but nonetheless it remains in some form of course and you know we progress through our grief whatever that looks like it's not as painful after two years as it was in the in the first days and neither should it be god gives us grace to endure these sorrows but it's never going to go away no father will ever get over the loss of his son and um, over time these things compound you know we experience more and more griefs more and more losses and we carry them with us through life and uh, there's a reason that by the end of our lives we're we're i think limping Mm. toward the grave and looking forward to having all of these burdens relieved at last when the day came which was to be his wedding day with rin is that correct? What what did yep. you do? How did you mark that 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 special and obviously emotional day? Yeah, that was a very painful day because um, we had sort of grappled with what we had lost um, in the past and even in our present. But that was the day that marked something that would never be. It was one day on the calendar that was representing Nick's future. You know, marriage, grandchildren, all of this. Mm-hmm. Um, and then the day came, and of course, there was to be no wedding. And we were very, very sorrowful that day. So Eileen and I went to the cemetery, just just brokenhearted and really just deep in grief. We just stood by the grave and, and wept. And then 
um, just very unexpectedly heard somebody speak my name and turned around and there was a couple there that had uh, sort of approached from behind. They um, know my website, they know us, and they um, they had seen us. Their, their son is buried just a few rows over from Nick and they came by and just happened to be there at that time when we just happened to be there. If you're talking about God's sovereignty or God's providence, he stitched this together so we'd be there at the same time. And they were able to comfort us and pray for us and just really express care and love for us. And it was just mm. such a tremendous blessing from the Lord. And something which, uh, it's one of these practical things, but also very meaningful, that of his room. And certainly uh, people that have lost uh, loved ones, they might be hesitant to, you know, to change, to, or they want to leave the room in the state in which it was left. But you and your wife, Eileen, came to the decision at some point to... Uh, to let the, his room have another use. Yeah, yeah, that's just it. And um, we can memorialize our loved ones in many ways, but we we thought that leaving his room intact was not the way we'd want to do it. And so one of those very practical matters that comes with that is just cleaning out all this evidence of a life and trying to figure out what to do with all of somebody's stuff. And we had to do that, but then we chose to transform his room into a guest room and one especially set aside for his fiance who... Uh, we really determined it was going to continue to be a part of our life. That's mm-hmm. what she wanted as well. And it was a joy to be able, she's been able to stay there several times now. And we're so thankful for that and for the ongoing love and relationship we have with her. Well, this is such a huge question. And, and your book uh, d- goes into this in such detail. But how has Nick's death, his going to be with the Lord, how has it changed your relationship with God? You know, I think I love the Lord more now than I did before. And I, I, it's been my observation throughout life that when people endure a time of great sorrow, they're either going to run to the Lord or from the Lord. Mm. And I, I was aware that that was going to be my challenge. Which way was I going to go? And um, I and my family, we just chose we were going to love the Lord through this. We were going to not try and relieve him of this in the sense we are going to say God didn't do this. We are going to say this was God's will, and we're going to be content in it because we don't get to rebel against God's will when he makes it so clear this was his plan, his his decision. And so we've submitted to God to the best of our ability and really do have a deeper sense assessment of his power and I think a deeper love for him. And you kind of laid this out in, in a chapter, as I recall, you call it your manifesto, your declaration. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. I I knew that I was going to face some temptations, uh, temptations to rebel against God or be angry at God, or maybe even worse, just to find no meaning, no purpose in there, mm-hmm. to sort of face this in a nihilistic way. And so I wrote out a manifesto, which was just a statement that I, would hold me accountable to what I thought were biblical principles, something I could read over time and, and look at and say, am I doing this? Am I holding myself to this? And um, I've shared that online, and I think it's been helpful to other people, too, as they've read it, as they endure sorrows. How am I going to go through this as a Christian in a distinctly Christian way to pass through this time of sorrow? If it's possible to summarize Tim's legacy for for you, for your family. <laughs> yeah. Um, Nick was a man who was faithful. He was faithful. He longed to do what God had called him to do. That really was his desire. What is God calling me to do, and how can I do it? And I think mm-hmm. that's what stands out in people's mind. He he was willing even to go against his natural inclination, against his personality, his very quiet, introverted, easily embarrassed personality, if this was what God was calling him to. He wanted to be dutiful and faithful. And so I think that's uh, really what stuck with me from from his life. Tim, are there any last thoughts, something we've we've maybe left out that you would like to leave us with? 
Yeah, I just think there's such a, a such a blessing that comes when really diving deep into our theology and a time of suffering is going to force you to confront your beliefs, to confront your deepest held beliefs about God. And in that time to say, is what I'm believing about God true? And I think that puts the onus on us before our times of sorrow to, to get our theology in place. You don't want to be grappling in the midst of your sorrow with, is God actually sovereign? You want to know that and establish that from Scripture. So if and when God does call you to a time of sorrow, you've got that theology in place, and now you can simply enact it and live it out. You've been listening to His People on Pilgrim Radio. Many thanks to today's guest, popular blogger Tim Chalice. We've been discussing his new book, Seasons of Sorrow, The Pain of Loss and the Comfort of God. Coming up on tomorrow's program, it's Jordan Baylor on why religious liberty is a legacy of the Protestant Reformation. Luther initially standing on his own, basically, you know, a man before God, a, con- a, a conscience convicted before God, and whatever the worldly authorities, whether they were popes or kings or emperors, were going to do to him, he was willing to suffer. Um, very quickly, you see, as I said, many people came to different conclusions based on those so- sorts of convictions about what the Bible said and taught, and tried to live their lives accordingly, which meant they had different views about how the social order would work mm-hmm. or the, the legitimacy of political authority. That's tomorrow at the same time right here on His People. Thanks for listening.